Hey guys, this is Drew, and before we get started on our episode today, just want to let you know that we're bringing to you a two-parter. Uh, I got to sit down and have a talk with Jeff White, a professor of chemical engineering at Oklahoma State University, and he had a lot of great stuff to say on the issues of science and faith and how those two things come together. So we've divided it into two episodes, and in this first episode, Jeff is going to get into a number of the kind of cosmological arguments and issues describing why and why it looks like there is intelligent uh, design to our universe. So I hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome to another episode of Apologetics in 15, a resource designed by the Table Campus Ministry to answer questions about God and faith and the Bible in uh, 15-ish minutes. Uh, it's been a little while. I'm, I'm your host, Drew Moss, and we've been on a tad bit of a hiatus. That's my bad. But I feel like we're coming back strong today because I've got with me a special guest, uh, a man who, who's got kind of two roles relevant to what we're talking about today. The first is uh, he's an elder at my church, Sunnybrook Christian Church, uh, and he is also a Ph.D. in chemistry and a professor in the School of uh, Chemical Engineering at Oklahoma State University. Jeff White is with us today uh, to talk about matters of faith and science. How are you doing, Jeff? Pretty good, Drew. Thanks for uh, setting a little time aside and having me here today. Hey, man. Thanks for coming. I uh I admit I was going to actually list some other things from the website of your kind of uh, honors and research stuff, but could not pronounce about half of it, so I just skipped that. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> not necessary. No, nobody wants to hear about it anyway. Uh, well, I appreciate you taking the time to come hang out with us today. Um, we are walking through at the table right now, Jeff. We're actually working through the book of Genesis with our students. And anytime you jump into Genesis, it's going to bring up issues of science. And a, a lot of our students are sitting in classes where they hear things like, you know, hey, the way the Bible describes things as far as creation or miracles, that was all good for people a long time ago who didn't know any of the things we know today about science. Right, right. But uh, today we know the truth. Today we know we don't, we don't need these things that the Bible says about this, that, that we can trust actually what science has told us. So, so I, I want to hear you kind of talk about it a little, sure. little bit. Does, does science undermine Christianity or scriptures? Does it disprove that? Well, let me just start by making it very clear from my perspective um, with the qualifier, first of all, that I, you know, my training is, as you mentioned, uh, sort of chemistry, physical chemistry, which is kind of that intersection between physics and chemistry. So I'm not a cosmological physicist. You okay. know, I, I, don't, I don't do experiments trying to figure out uh, what happened during, uh, as we'll hear, the Big Bang. But um, I have spent some time looking at this over the years, and many of the things that are important to me in my research things like the interaction of electromagnetic radiation with matter, blah, 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 blah. These are the very same techniques that uh, astrophysicists use to probe what I'll call the debris from the Big Bang okay. uh, event. Now, so I'm already getting a little bit ahead of myself. So, so, so I would encourage students to just kind of, uh, as they're reading through Genesis, think about some other passages. And I, I wrote down one uh, from Hebrews 11.3. And it says that we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that which is seen is made from that which was not seen. So um, as I sort of go through the things that I've thought about and prepared for today, I will tell you that science is very consistent with this verse, and in fact, many others. Uh, and I'll also have to give the qualifier that my bias is much more towards 
uh, thinking about creation, um, what we learn about the universe in which we live from uh, things related to chemistry and physics, much more so um, than you might hear from a biologist mm. uh, who says, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to talk about evolution today. So I'll say a few things about that. But, but what I would like to do is, is just tell students, first of all, science in no way has disproved our God. Yeah. And what I would like to share with you is what science has proved to date. And then we'll maybe reflect on, uh, from my perspective as a believer, how much confidence that actually gives me yeah. as a believer. Uh, so this movement towards scientism is often embraced by individuals who know very little about science. Hmm. And our culture encourages people to jump on that and hang on to it uh, without really thinking about the details. And so, so I, you know, I just, and I had to make a list because there are many. Okay. And I, I didn't want to leave anything out. So, so first of all, I would say that, you know, science has not disproved Christianity. Uh, science can explain sort of how our universe began. And when I say universe, uh, if I get sloppy with my language, please know that I mean both space, the stuff as we think about it, and time itself. Mm. So, you know, many students have probably heard, you know, the jokes on Big Bang Theory or whatever about space-time continuum. It's not a joke. It's true. Uh, science has shown that space and time are intimately coupled. So um, science can explain that. Here's what science cannot do. Science cannot address the why. Uh, what, you know, how did all of this space and time, things which were not seen, which are seen, form from that which was not seen? We can't. We can't explain that from science. And even though we'll probably run out of time, um, I'll just pay a, a small uh, word toward the biological side. Science cannot explain this phenomenon known as abiogenesis. In other words, there is no scientific evidence for life forming in the absence of life. Hmm. Okay? Yeah. So uh, I'll let that one sort of hang because we'll probably run out of time. And let me just tell you a few things that science does tell us. And this is, you know, my synopsis of uh, people who study, um, you know, our universe and what they've concluded. These are physicists, scientists, chemists who have looked at the evidence, and this is what they say. Okay, so here's the first one, and I've already alluded to that. Circa 15 billion years ago, uh, our universe, space-time as we know, perceive, and measure it, began in a Big Bang event. Okay. Science proves there was a beginning. Okay. Now, that we tend to take that very much for granted. Uh, but what that means is at some point, all that we are able to interrogate started. So, how, you know, you it, can it ask. It was them. not always That's right. in existence or whatever. Right. There was a starting point. There was a point where it was not. Right. And this is very important because... Um, again, using the language of science and the measurements from science, if it had always been, as you correctly point out. In other words, if the universe was infinitely old, then this thing we call the second law of thermodynamics says that um, entropy, a measure of how all energy is dispersed. Second law tells us that that is always driving toward maximum dispersion. Mm. You know, in common language, people use the word disorder. I don't really like that because it's not accurate. Basically, energy that existed from the beginning 
that big bang event would have been completely dispersed mm. and there would be no residual energy in the atmosphere. Mm. Okay, and you say, well, okay, that sounds like a lot of fancy talk. Well, you can you notice that there's a difference. You can look at the night sky and see that there is still a non-uniform um, distribution of energy in the yeah. universe. Uh, I was very fortunate to get to spend my postdoc at, at AT&T Bell Labs and uh, back in the late 60s, uh, two famous scientists from there, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, did an experiment um, there in the suburbs of Morrisville, New Jersey, <laughs> uh, built a, a microwave antenna and did basically a laser perturbation experiment with microwaves. They call it a maser. And they measured the residual energy in the atmosphere. It's labeled the cosmic background radiation. And if you convert that to temperature units that we're used to thinking about, it's about three degrees above absolute zero. So that was a very important measured piece of evidence that, hey, we know that energy dispersal has not reached equilibrium. Therefore, the universe could not have been here infinitely long. Okay, so that's, that's what science yeah. has told us, all right? Um, again, feel free to jump in if I'm, if I'm going too quickly. Sure, no. Um, Another thing, so, you know, we've heard about uh, our universe is expanding, right? So everybody's heard about the Hubble telescope. Uh, well, the scientist for whom that is named, uh, Robert Hubble, did experiments to help figure out what is the magnitude of this expansion, right? So scientists like to quantify things. They like to measure things. So there's something known as the Hubble constant that based on looking at radiation that comes from uh, the atmosphere, comparing that to the energy of comparable radiation that we would measure on Earth, that radiation gets shifted or perturbed because the bodies that are uh, where we're measuring that radiation versus the body from which they originated are moving apart. Okay, so this is sort of like, uh, so therefore there's an energy shift, and based on that you can calculate the rate at which things are moving. Okay. So you think about a very simple analogy. If I'm going to throw you a 60-mile-an-hour, 80-mile-an-hour fastball, and I'm driving towards you in my convertible, and I throw that fastball at you, you're going to feel a lot more pop than if I wait until I pass you and then throw it back towards yeah. you, right? This so-called Doppler effect. So, so it's a very known, uh, very um, well-appreciated fact from science that our universe is still expanding. Any point that I pick is moving away from any other point. So that's consistent with the beginning. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, again, people who study these things uh, can tell you that within reasonable limits of scientific uncertainty, pretty much all the stars that we see, all the galaxies that we're able to measure using things like the Hubble telescope, are all approximately of about the same age, sort of in that five, six, seven, eight billion year. Um, uh, window And again, so right now, those who are listening closely are saying, oh, wow, but I'm saving this question. I'm going to get him on this time question in a minute because he's using units of billions of years, and that's not consistent with the Bible. So we're not going to forget about okay. that. Okay. Okay. Um, a couple of other things. You know, there, there, there's so much literature out there, um, and I don't mean just literature for uh, believers, but, you know, people who have spent a lifetime studying these types of events, and then they, they try to write books that connect to, you know, the lay audience. And, you know, Steven Weinberg was a famous physicist. He has a book called The First Three Minutes. It's a very short book, 
Uh, it's, it's a little bit detail-heavy. I don't know if I would characterize it as, as a layperson's read. Uh, Brian Green has dealt with this in his book called The Elegant Universe. So there's a lot of books out there. Uh, as a person who tends to like things more on the chemistry side, I've, uh, I've been very impressed to learn that scientists have determined that shortly after that Big Bang, the, the building blocks of life, so if you look at a periodic table, and those students who are suffering through chemistry at OSU at the moment, um, if you look at a periodic table, there's lots of elements up there. Uh, using scientific principles, when you look at the composition of all the matter in the universe, you would calculate that about 95% of it should be hydrogen and helium. And that's about what you get. But if these very fundamental forces that exist in matter, and there are only four of them, okay, so there's not going to be a quiz, but I'll tell you the four, the gravitational uh, force, the electromagnetic force, and the so-called strong and weak nuclear forces. Okay, so these are the four forces that basically govern everything that happens in okay. the universe. So imagine this Big Bang event, like in the first millisecond to two seconds, you know, just a very short time window. If these forces, so-called strong nuclear force to be specific, deviated by two or three percent from their known value, the periodic table would have one element. That one element would be hydrogen. Hmm. Okay, so many uh, of these scientists who write about this, Paul Davies is one that, that I read, uh, he's written a book called God and the New Physics, which is a little bit dated by now, some 20 years, but it still holds true. You know, comment on this fact that, wow, if we didn't have just these very finely tuned four fundamental forces and the, and the constants that characterize them, in almost every case, if they deviated by less than 2 or 3%, you would just have hydrogen in the universe. Well, we have helium. And even though hydrogen and helium make up 95%, helium can undergo uh, fusion reactions in, you know, hot stars. And, um, you know, you basically those who can remember a little bit of their chemistry, helium uh, has, you know, uh, atomic number of four. Um, carbon has atomic number of 12. So I can imagine fusing three heliums together and eventually getting carbon. And right. And so, and there's some very important intermediate steps in that fusion reaction where again if there was just the slightest deviation one two percent in the uh, in the energy describing those intermediate states you would not get any carbon well what do we need for life we need carbon and mm -hmm. we need oxygen right um, so what, you, what you're saying is that this actually when people when scientists explore uh, and look at the big bang it looks like like a controlled event, contrary to what they even sound, Big Bang just sounds like chaos. Uh, but, but they're saying that it looks controlled. It looks like something fine-tuned is a word that gets used a lot, those right. kinds of things. But right. okay. That's a very, very good way of describing it, Drew. In fact, uh, again, you know, people may say, so here's one thing that I, I would like to caution people on. You can't say that science disproves God, and then when you start listening to how science does its work, say, ah, oh, well, there's a lot of uncertainty in science. Okay, there is. The latter is true. There's a lot of uncertainty in science, but using the very best scientific principles and using new tools, some of which have been deployed relatively recently, things like the Hubble telescope, um, he, here is what we're finding. And so, so another very key piece of information related to your comment about how controlled 
the Big Bang appeared to be is that if the, and I want to get this right uh, because it's really, it's mind-boggling to me. So Steven Weinberg in his book does some calculation at 10 to the minus 43 seconds after the Big Bang, okay? So this is much, much shorter than a nanosecond, which is about the shortest time most people have heard of. And so basically the calculation says that if the total mass energy density at that time deviated by one part in 10 raised to the power of 60 parts, okay? Now this is what the best science tells us. Then we would not have life in the sense that no elements other than hydrogen could have formed. Hmm. Uh, if forces, gravitational forces at that time and the electromagnetic force at that time had deviated significantly, we would either have a case where the Big Bang event basically would have imploded upon itself yeah. or you know, everything flies apart so quickly uh, that you never form mm. anything other than hydrogen. Hmm. So, so yeah, these um, uh, Mike Strauss, who's a physicist down at the University of Oklahoma, who's done a fantastic job organizing a lot of this type of information, he too uses this finely tuned hmm. uh, descriptor of that Big Bang event. And so, um, you know, other things, there's just, there's a list of things that you can go through. You know, if the distance between the Earth and the Sun deviated, by you know one and a half to two percent either way hmm. right either too hot too much ionizing radiation for living beings or too cold right hmm. so so you can go through these um individual criteria and so you know we right we know the probability of me getting heads when i flip a coin two times is the product of the probability for each time that i do it so i got a 25 percent chance yeah. because right i 50%, 50%, yeah. off I go. So you know, science has compiled lists of probabilities for these independent events occurring of the type that I've just described. Mm -hmm. Another one we might throw out there, you sort of need spherical galaxies to support life. Only, according to known science, less than 5% of all known galaxies are spherical. Mm. Okay, so you take these lists and you start multiplying them together. Well, let's say I have a 3% chance of getting the strong nuclear force right, so the quarks form protons and neutrons, okay? So I just keep going down the list. I've got, you know, 5% chance of getting the shape of my galaxy correct. So when you add all, when you multiply all of those together, the probability that you get that we are here because of random chance, you know, sort of the scientific, um, you know, to borrow slightly out of context, uh, Einstein's famous quote about God playing dice. Hmm. If you just look at our existence as being the product of random events, all of which are supported by science, but using science to calculate their probabilities, you get a number that's there's one chance in 10 raised to the power of like 304. Hmm. Hmm. Okay, so university students who've learned their scientific notation, 10 to the minus 304 that is an intellectually indefensible number. Huh. And you're going to tell me that science has disproved Christianity? Mm. Hmm. I don't think so. And you're not saying, I've, you know, I've heard some people when I've kind of read little bits and thrown some stuff out, I've heard people say things like, well, you know, had, had some of the numbers been different, we would have evolved differently, life would have looked differently, but you're not just talking about life, you're talking about like the ability for matter to form even right. and stuff, right? Sure, right, so for the, the, the very building blocks of matter, so. At best, you would have only hydrogen and helium mm. if there were those deviations. Yeah. 
Uh, but forming carbon, having the right amount of oxygen in our atmosphere hmm. uh, would would have, I mean, it's, it's mathematically impossible hmm. based on using science to look at the data. 